Welcome to the Athletics of Business, a podcast about how the traits and behaviors of elite athletes and remarkable business leaders frequently intersect. The real stories and hard lessons to help you level up your leadership and performance. Now your host, Ed Molitor. Welcome to this episode of the Athletics of Business podcast, and our guest today is Dr. Brandy Plunkett. Brandy is the Executive Director of the Center for Executive Development in Mays Business School at Texas A&M University, where she is responsible for the overall financial performance and operations of the center, as well as the strategic growth and quality of the global programs within the center. Throughout her 28-year career in the education and training field, Dr. Plunkett has developed programs or championed the expansion of programs across multiple areas. Her last 17 years working within the university system include graduate, administrative, and leadership roles at the system and college level, including graduate work with the Summer Seminar on Academic Administration for the College of Education and Leadership Development for the Institute for School University Partnerships at the Texas A&M University System. As Program Director for the Emergency Services Training Institute, a division of the Texas A&M Engineering Extension Service that trains more than 85,000 students annually worldwide, Dr. Plunkett created and led the Enterprise-Based Leadership Development Program. In addition, her responsibilities include oversight of of the division's internal operations, including the curriculum development, state and national certification, and evaluation programs, as well as direction over the division's marketing strategy and capabilities. Dr. Plunkett's other professional activities include lecturing in the Mays Business School for the Department of Management, working with student groups, public speaking in her community, and executive coaching. She served on the Board of Examiners for the Texas Award for Performance Excellence in 2004 and became a member of Leadership Texas in 2008. She currently serves on the Council of Advisors for the Crestview Retirement Community in Bryan, Texas, and the Advisory Board for the Vetted Foundation. Dr. Plunkett was a public school teacher for 10 years, during which time she also trained teachers on the use of continuous improvement tools in the elementary classroom in both Texas and the United States. She returned to Texas A&M in 2000, earning a master's and a PhD in educational human resource development in 2006. She is currently in the process of becoming an ICF certified executive coach. Brandy, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. I am I am humbled. I am excited. I'm fired up for, for you to be here as a guest. And this podcast is special for a lot of reasons, but most importantly, because it's actually happening. Because we have had <laughs> we've had many obstacles to overcome to make this happen. And we'll save that story for another time. But but thanks for joining us. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Happy to be here. So let's talk about what is going on right now in in your world and what you folks do and what you do as executive director for the Center for Executive Development at Mays Business School. Okay. Um, Well, so the Center for Executive Development at Mays Business School is, um, it is a, it's kind of a little bubble inside of, of the College of Business, which is what we call Mays Business School at Texas A&M. And our role is to leverage all of the talent and the, um, the research and all of the things that the faculty are generating in this college and use it to help uh, organizations and individuals who, are, who understand the value of lifelong learning to continue to grow after graduation. So we don't deal with the students who are enrolled in Mays. We are working with those uh, people from all over the world, whether they've graduated from A&M or not, uh, in organizations uh, to, to 
be better in areas of business that they're working on. So for example, we might do a contract with an organization who's trying to build a pipeline of leaders and, and um, prepare for the next generation of leadership or working to bring everybody to the same level from a financial perspective. So we use our faculty and leverage all that they're doing to create customized programs for people. And then we also offer open enrollment that individuals themselves can come to that are, you know, more general in, in nature and in static. They're not customized, but they're uh, great opportunities for continued development after you graduate from college and you want to grow and continue to, to move up the food chain and, and, uh, you know, become more valuable to your organization and learn more. And you mentioned something that we, you and I talk about in something that's very front of my mind is the continual learning, lifelong learning, and how key that is to any level of success, high level of success that folks Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Yeah. When do you see, as they, as they utilize time and resources to develop future leaders, when do, when do younger folks really start to realize, okay, this is, we're never done learning. You know, do you, is that, right. is that something that, these organizations are really emphasizing right now, right from the start when they get these, these um, younger people in their organizations? I believe so. Of course, we're, that's who we work with. But, you know, we know, you know, through research, through experience, through just talking with really effective, successful leaders that all good leaders consider themselves learners. Uh, anybody that understands uh, the value of, of being successful and growing and continuing to do better knows that you can never, you never are at the magic place where you now know everything. You continue to learn and leaders who lead successful organizations understand the importance of that as well. And they uh, encourage their organization to continue to learn. And that's, that's who we see a lot. And, and so, um, from a standpoint of younger people understanding that, I believe that they do more and more. I think because of the nature of technology and all of the options that are offered uh, to, to people nowadays, they realize that there's so much information out there and, and information is changing so quickly. You really can't stop learning. Uh, I saw a statistic the other day that, that said that um, managers are on an average a manager for 10 years before they get leadership training. And, and we're talking about changing that because um, what's available to people through the use of online learning or, or different things is, is changing that statistic dramatically. And it's also allowing people to realize that it, that the, the value and the importance of, of continuing to learn. Right. And, and when you start talking into the corporate world, as the pace and range of change is so rapid, uh, your ability to not just learn, but learn efficiently is such a competitive advantage. Now, with that pace and range and change, we were talking yesterday about your faculty. It has to be a pretty unique dynamic where, yes, they're out here teaching these courses and they're out here sharing their knowledge and their insights and their practices. But I have to think that they have a lot of takeaway from your clients as well. In other words, they're learning from the people that they are they are sharing their knowledge with. Absolutely. If you, and even if you go on our website and see our video, you see faculty talking about that. They say that all the time that they learn as much or get as much from the participants in the programs as the participants get. Because when you bring people together, whether it are, whether they're new managers or, or senior level executives, um, organizations don't, you don't often get the opportunity to be in a room full of people mm -hmm. in your company who are facing some of the same challenges you are, but maybe in a different area. So you'll have, you know, operations and HR and finance and legal, all these people in the room together who have different perspectives on the organization, 
but who are all engaging in the same conversation in the same content area. And so what they're able to share with each other as well as the faculty, uh, it makes the class that much richer. And you don't get that unless you're willing to make the sacrifices of letting these people be away from work, spend some time together, spend some time with a faculty member to facilitate and pull out that knowledge and then use it to kind of enhance and stretch them and take them to new places. And, and that's, that's kind of the, the chemistry of it all. Our faculty are great at, at, mass, at working with that. That's very powerful when you think about it. And, and speaking of stretching and taking you to new places, I want to talk about your journey because it is it is fascinating. <laughs> and you know I'm excited about this. And, and you know I've been trying to get to this point of the conversation. So can you share with us? Because I've got to believe when you first started, well, I don't want to steal your thunder. When you first started your previous career, you know, your original career many, many years ago, mm-hmm. did you think that you would be sitting where you are today based on the the normal or the expected career path? Yeah, oh gosh, no, absolutely not. We talked about that because, and it's so, it's fun when I get, you know, when I'm talking to students, because uh, when I was teaching a management class here, you know, a lot of times I still talk to, to individual students that come for advice. And one thing I always share with them is you have absolutely no idea where you're going to be 20 or 30 years from now, because my first career right out of college was teaching public school. I was an elementary school teacher. And um, if you had told me then that someday I would have a PhD and be, you know, sitting here and an exec ed at Mays Business School, you know, I wouldn't have even been able to imagine that or yeah. what that would be like. And so um, I've had a, a, an interesting career path with, with right. a common thread of development all the way through it. But uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been an well, interesting let's, path. Hey, let's talk mission <laughs> statements. Let's talk. The oh, okay. Thread. How did this all start? Okay. Well, so when I was uh, teaching, and I had been teaching, I guess, for five or four, five or six years at this point, and I was, um, I'll just fast forward to when I was at a district in uh, north of Austin, Texas, a great progressive school district, Leander Independent School District, and the they were, they were taking on the challenge of becoming a continuous improvement district from top to bottom, meaning from the level of the superintendent and the school board all the way down into the kindergarten classroom, first grade classroom where I was. And when I, when I say continuous improvement, I mean, we were adopting, you know, business principles in that continuous improvement methodology, um, being data driven as we make decisions. And this was in 1994. So this was a long time ago. Not a lot of people were doing that. Um, I mean, we were learning about Deming, and we were learning about, um, you know, uh, we were collecting data by, we were testing our students three times a year just internally in the district, and it was the same test every you know, all three times, but we were able to show growth. And so we had all of our um, competencies that we needed to cover in our, our grade level. And of course, so when you test kids at the beginning of the school year, they're obviously very low. But but what we did was we put that in the hands of the students. So even in the first grade classroom, after we took our little test, you know, we would we would have bar charts and histograms and you walk through with the students what that means. So if you're talking about, you know, math competencies, adding, subtracting or whatever, and they would learn, you know, that if the bar is short, that means we have a lot of work to do. If the bar is high, that means we're really pretty good there. We just need to practice. And when you break things down like that, they begin to understand why we're doing what we're doing. You know, so why is it important for us to be working on this? Well, we want to get better at this. And, and things like that. So it's that kind of concept and, and that allows you to, to get the students involved. And then when we would do student 
we would do conferences. It wasn't parent-teacher conferences. It was student-led conferences. So they could tell their parents what they were good at, what they were working on, how their parents could help them. I mean, it was, it was great. So you were asking me the other day about the mission statement. And I said, yes, we, we did mission statements with our, with, or I did with my kids. And what that, um, so we, once we created that, um, every single day, we started off the day, you say the Pledge of Allegiance, and then we would say why we come to school. And that was our mission statement. We didn't call it a mission statement. We called it our purpose statement. But, um, and people would say, you know, you can't do that with six-year-olds. And yes, you absolutely can. You sit in a group and you say, why do we come to school? And we used a tool just call, called the five whys. And you, you ask the same question yes why five times so why do we come to school and they would give you know the answer you would expect first grade kids to get we would come to school to you know play or have fun or learn or whatever and then you say why and so you're you are walking them through the conversation more so than you would uh if you were developing a mission statement in an organization but you're getting you're getting to the same thing you're peeling the onion about what's the real purpose for being here and then once we figure that out then we say okay you know and and i used to be able to recite it it was this was over 20 years ago, but it's, we come to school uh, so we can learn, have fun, and grow up to be good adults and take care of ourselves and our families. It was something to that effect. And I've so worked we, with a couple of companies that they can use that. But anyways, Yeah, but I mean, if, and you go through that every day. We say that every day. And so the way you use it then to help them learn to think about making decisions based on your mission um, would be so as we're working during the day in the class, um, and we've decided, well, we're, you know, we're going to be this, this fall. So we're going to do the Apple unit, but here's all the things we're going to work on in reading and math. And, and they are fully aware of what we're, you know, we know why we're doing what we're doing. And let's say it's a, a rainy day and everybody's inside and it's getting a little rowdy. Well, I can call the class together and I could say, okay, hey, hang on just a second. Let's take a look at what's happening here. And then I want you to look at that mission state, you know, why do we come to school? And they would be able to say it and I'd say, okay, so is what's happening right now in this classroom going to help us accomplish that? And if the answer is yes, then we need to keep doing it. If the answer is no, then we either need to change what we're doing right now or we need to change that mission statement. And uh, because we always want to be doing things that are going to get us to where our purpose is. And so it's a real simple way of doing the same things that businesses do. Um, and that's where I began to, you know, get interested in business practices and principles and continuous improvement as I got to teach. Um, as we did that more and more in our district, we had a, a time of year where we would take our teacher in-service days and do a conference for ourselves and teach each other because um, to be data-based and to convert a an entire school district and change the culture requires a lot of different strategies for supporting teachers um, and so one of the things we did is is took two days and we would teach each other what we would do we do little sessions and you know I would do a session and any teacher that wanted to come and sit in my session I would show them what I did with my kids with the mission statement and so that became a huge conference over time and people started coming from other school districts they started coming from other states um, and so then I started getting invited to go teach in other places and help teachers learn it's just a great um, uh, it really, it was a, a great experience that changed my life. And I also learned so much from the leadership, our, our superintendent and our associate superintendents, um, the culture that they set up. I hear people talk about today that they're trying to accomplish that. And, and what these folks were doing 
in the mid nineties is just amazing. And I, and I didn't realize it at the time until now I'm here where I am. And I look back and I think, Oh my gosh. Was, you know? was the hardest part of changing the culture. This is a good question. I think. Um, <laughs> was it the kids or was it the adults? It was the adults. Absolutely. Because and why do you think, think it's it? so hard at that age, not that age, but you know what I'm saying? Why do you think yeah. it's so hard at the higher levels to change the culture? Because people already have demands placed on them. They already feel like I'm responsible for accomplishing all these things. And now you want me to do all this new stuff that I don't really understand. It's not comfortable. Um, if, you know, I'm really good at doing things this way, why do I want to stop doing those things that way? Because when I'm comfortable and I'm good at what I do and you ask me to do something differently, then I lose confidence because I'm no longer doing that thing that I'm really good at. So what value do I bring? Because now I'm, I'm trying to do this other new thing and it's clunky and it's uncomfortable and I make mistakes and I'm uncertain. And I think, um, and especially when you think about what's put on teachers, you know, we always are under pressure. And so to try new things, to get teachers who are under pressure because of testing and, um, you know, standardized testing and how your school is evaluated based on that you know, they want to say, I don't have time for all this stuff. I've got to cover all these things so that we do well on our tests because that the whole state sees. And our superintendent had the guts to say, you know what, we're not going to worry about the testing. He said, because if we're doing our job and doing it right, the testing will take care of itself. Right. And he just removed that pressure. He took wow. that pressure from us. He had it, you know, and, right. and it was a reality. But to say that to an entire school district, that you do what we know is the right way to do things and everything else, I believe in what you, I believe in the people that are here. I believe in what we're doing. I believe in it so much that you do what, what we're encouraging you to do and you let the results take care of themselves. There are not many people on this earth that have the guts to do that. No, and to relate that to the corporate world, because you see this, I mean, we all see this, is... That's hard to say. When we don't have the immediate gratification, the instant gratification and the immediate results, when we know right. that the, the effort to change the culture is going to take much longer than oh, when yeah. we start seeing the return on that investment. Do uh -huh. you, can you talk into that a lot? Do you see that a lot? And you see people working on that at the corporate level? I do. I do. And I think, you know, I see that, um, yes, especially in this day and age, you know, fast forward to 2018, people do expect results a lot faster. Um, and, you know, because I'm talking about we were doing things back when there weren't even smartphones yet. And so I think our culture now is we just expect turnaround so quickly. And so, you know, maybe there's more pressure. And I know, you know, corporations and, you know, for-profit companies have stakeholders and, and shareholders to be responsible to and to be able to um, – you have to answer to them and they're not always so patient. You know, there's a, there's a million things that affect somebody's ability to um, give people the room to, to come around to, to changes in time. Mm -hmm. We were, we were blessed that we had a situation where the, the leadership of the school district allowed for that. So nobody was mandated to adopt continuous improvement methodologies in their classroom. You were encouraged, you were supported, we had training all the time, but you were not mandated because we all know people come to change differently. And so, you know, I'm, I was probably an early adopter, but those of us that were early adopters were allowed to learn and try things, make mistakes, learn from those mistakes. And then we could teach our peers who were a little less quick to come to the table, but eventually they did. And I think 
because we were able to do it that way, people were more committed to um, the whole philosophy and the whole way we were doing things, but it took a long time. And I'm sure it was very difficult for the leaders to watch some teachers doing things, you know, in an old school kind of way when they're, you know, knocking themselves out to create the conditions where we could use data and put it in the hands of our students and encourage that independent thinking, even, at, you know, at six years old. So let's talk about that a little bit. So you're, you're creating an environment, okay? And, and it's a safe environment, not a soft one. I think people confuse No, not soft. soft. Right? Yeah. And you're creating a safe environment to execute, to, to, to make mistakes, to fail, to grow through the failure, to grow through adversity. How do you see that play out in the clients that you deal with or the potential clients you deal with on a, on a daily basis? Like, is there, is there an, a challenge? And we just talked about this a little bit with the stakeholders and who they report to, but is there that getting on the other side of fear of the unknown and getting outside our comfort zone as leaders, okay, to be able to encourage our people to go to that place where there's, there is some unknown, but we know things are going to be okay once they get to the other side of fear? I think... Well, I don't think anybody's immune from fear, obviously. Um, And I do, I I see that, you know, there's obviously a lot more pressure and higher stakes on leaders in a business setting because, you know, you can be fired if you don't produce results in a a period of time that somebody may predetermine. Mm -hmm. Um, I see sometimes, uh, what I hear a lot from individuals is that, or the feeling that um, expectations have been created and placed on them without the person that created them understanding what it takes to right. achieve what they've been told they need to achieve. Could you say it one more time? Because that's that's a huge I'm not even right sure there. if I can, but I can try. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, hear, I just put yeah. you right on the spot there. Didn't I'll know. I'll try. I think yeah. what I hear um, often, not all the time, is that people may feel like expectations and um, an expectation for results is placed on them, but the person who may have determined or the group that may have determined what those expectations should be and when they should be delivered don't necessarily understand everything it's going to take to produce those results. So there's sometimes a disconnect there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's it's easy for that to happen because a lot of things, a lot of times what we also find is when people come to us and it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch, especially when you're in an executive ed classroom where you have a room full of leaders. I mean, people that come here, they're already leaders. They've already usually been identified as, as either high potential or they are already extremely accomplished. They don't come with a lack of knowledge. They come with tremendous amount of experience. Um, but you put them in a room with people that they don't interact with on a regular basis in their same company, and they learn things they didn't learn before. So a lot of times we're showing, okay, when you make this decision in your division or in your area, once that decision leaves, you don't necessarily see the impact to the rest of the organization. So let's let's show that. Let's work that out so that you can see when you make this decision here, here's the impact it has three, four, five steps down the road. And if, when there's a disconnect, the decision making is, you know, is being, you know, decisions are being made that may not, uh, you may not understand the unintended consequences of your decision because you never see them. And uh, I think that is something we see a lot simply because organizations, especially large organizations, multinational organizations, don't necessarily have the ability to show that. Um, and I don't, I don't know if I'm explaining that very no, well. No, you are. You are. I, mean, I think that's a common thing. It's it it, 
it just happens because it's almost impossible for you know, at once an organization is to a certain size or complexity or whatever that, that you can see all those things on a regular basis, you know, so what you end up dealing with is the pressures and the, the things that are right in front of you all the time. Mm -hmm. And it can be very easy to not, to not think outside of that. And right. so that's one of the things we try to do is open that up and challenge people. That's a higher level of decision-making, a higher level of leadership is understanding not just how to deal with what's the pressures you're dealing with right now, but to think of long-term consequences, unintended consequences, and how to factor that into your decision-making. So that speaks to, I mean, big time communicating up. And what I mean by that is as leaders, we often communicate across and we communicate down, mm. but having the ability, I mean, how significant is it to have the ability to communicate up in such a way that um, they understand? You mean the, the senior level executives yeah. understand? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's very critical. And that, I think that goes to, uh, sometimes we get asked to uh, provide some executive presence um, training. And I think, I think the genesis of that or sometimes the request comes from the fact that they are wanting, they're wanting to prepare that leaders or, or, you know, director level leaders to be able to think and communicate up and, uh, to be able to decide not only what needs to go up mm -hmm. and when it needs to go up, but how to deliver it, you know? And so we talk about understanding well, what's important to me and what I think about and all of that is not necessarily everything that, that your senior level or, or anybody above you needs to know, but what do they need to know and when do they need to know it and how do you communicate it in, that, in a way that's not only useful, but will be heard. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and what's the relation? How do you work on that relationship? How do you work on your credibility and your ability to influence? And then how do you determine what you need to share? And, and, and uh, all of that is, is critically important. So let's talk about the next step of your journey, because your ability to do all of these things that we're talking about took you, you know, it, you didn't just jump into <laughs> Center for Executive Development right away. What was your no. next stop along the way? Okay, so... So as I was teaching and, and doing these, these kinds of, you know, basic business principles in the classroom, and I began to I actually took a class full of my first grade students and we presented at a conference, which is, that's a whole, another set of stories that are hysterical. Oh, but, we could talk for days. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty funny. But anyway, um, so I, I began to start teaching uh, other teachers and, and really learned, you know, sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And I learned that I really enjoyed that. And so um, I spoke to one of the people that was helping our district in, in terms of development was a professor from Texas A&M who would come to the district periodically and work with us on continuous improvement. And he has been at the university for 42 years. He consults with school districts all over Texas. He was at one time involved with the Malcolm Baldridge Award and the Texas Award for Performance Excellence, all that. And, and I went up to him one day after, after one of his sessions and I said, you know, I'm really enjoying this teaching teachers thing. What, what, what if, if I wanted to do that full time out of curiosity, what do I need to do? And he brought me an application to graduate school <laughs> at Texas A&M. And he said, you right. need to come back and go to grad school. And, uh, and so anyway, so that brought me, that's how I got out of the classroom and came up to A&M, never intending to stay here this long. I was going to come here a year and a half, get a master's and go right back to Austin because that's where I, that's my area where I'm from. That's what I love. But one thing leads to another and I'm still here 18 years later, but um, in the process of finishing up my 
dissertation and my PhD, I needed to get a job because I was a graduate assistant for a long time. Anyway, so I ended up at uh, one of the state agencies under the A&M system called the Texas A&M Engineering Extension Service. And we happened to have one of the largest uh, fire training schools in the country, actually in the world. And so we train emergency responders um, from all over the world, actually. We train, I think, I know the numbers have changed since I was there. At the time, we were training about 85,000 people a year, over 60 different countries. Um, we did not just municipal firefighting, but industrial, marine. We did response to terrorism. We have a huge, like a $25 million federal grant to do all kinds of bio-terrorism uh, response. And um, we train rescue, um, all kinds of things. And so uh, I became, you know, I started there working on curriculum, but over time uh, promoted up. And when I left, I was the first female program director at that time, the only female program director. And I was over curriculum development, certification, uh, evaluation, marketing and then I started a leadership <laughs> development program there all? for fire all, chiefs. Yeah, I was a busy girl that. out there. Yeah. But it was great. And I, it was a whole nother level of learning from a business perspective because that even though we were part of a state agency, we extremely entrepreneurial and enterprise oriented, very like single digit amount of our budget came from the state. Everything else was um, we generated that income by being uh, enterprise based. And so it was about uh, I had different kinds of budgets. I had a budget that was a state related budget. I had internal funding from the division and then I had to a program that had to generate revenue. And so um, learned a lot there about um, it really stretched everything that I had learned in graduate school about building programs. And, and again, it was a culture challenge because going out to a place where it's predominantly men, predominantly type A firefighter types, and you're coming in to change the curriculum and change what they think they bring to the table in terms of knowledge. And you're saying, well, you know, we want to take that 30 years of experience off the note cards that are in your back pocket and put them into, uh, you know, a format that we'll have forever. Um, you know, we met with a whole lot of resistance. And so how do you manage that? How do you win trust and build relationships and um, create a process that, people can follow that's predictable that gives them some sense of security and understanding of the importance of what they're doing. Uh, so it was a, a whole nother level of, of learning from um, different kinds of challenges. <laughs> so let's draw a parallel here and I don't want to undervalue what you did because it's absolutely amazing. And, and again, we talked about this and, and why it's one of the many reasons you're one of my idols because oh, oh gosh. No, the ability, you know, growing up a fireman's son, also growing up um, or a fireman's grandson and the son of a, uh, you know, my mom, it, it, like you in a whole different industry though she was you know predominantly male and she became a leader and rose to the ranks and had to earn their respect and trust and it's not easy and especially when you're going in and trying to change culture and trying to make positive changes and the way you went about it which you share with me was phenomenal because you didn't try to you know pound your chest and say you know I know the way, this is it, we're going to do it my way or it's a highway, whatever. But, but the way you built relationships and earned trust and garnered trust. But let's draw a little bit of a parallel to younger folks getting in leadership positions that mm -hmm. those on the outside looking in may say, well, I don't know if they're ready. 
I don't know why they're qualified. I don't know how that person is going to lead me when I have 30 years experience doing what I do. What are some ways they can go about earning the trust in a positive sense? Does, does that question, does that make sense? It does make sense. And I think, but I want to go back to something that has to be, in my opinion, has to be in place first. And that is, um, I had a job to do. And yes, I, you, just not just me by myself, because I didn't do anything that I've done by myself ever. Uh, mm-hmm. But um, but we were the tip of the spear, was what I call it. You know, the tip of the spear on change. But the thing that had to be in place before we could have been effective um, was very clear leadership, very strong leadership. He, uh, our agency director at that time, was crystal clear that there were some things that were going to change in this organization mm-hmm. and that, um, and he laid that out and he empowered the people underneath him to create the structure under which that would happen. Mm-hmm. And so what I needed to accomplish was very clear to me, even though it might not have been clear to the, you know, I had to win some, some, I had to build some relationships and win trust at the division level. Yes. But I was crystal clear on what the mission was and what, my role was and what we were supposed to do. So when you, when you don't have that clarity, uh, it is extremely difficult to be able to do the other things you need to do because you don't know where you can push boundaries. You don't know where you're going to be backed up. And when you're trying to make a change and, you know, you know, you're going to be making some people uncomfortable. um, You have to know where, you need to stand your ground and if you're going to be backed up, because if you're not, you tend to not stand your ground and then you're wishy-washy and you can't affect change that way. You, you need to, you need to have some clarity. Now within that clarity, then you have the ability to be flexible and you have the ability to be patient in some areas. And so because I knew exactly what we needed to accomplish, didn't exactly know how we were going to do it, but I knew what we were supposed to do and I knew the marching orders. And so that allowed me then to be able to say, okay, within those boundaries, um, what's the best way for us to do it at our division? Because our division is is very different from another division in the organization. And I, I have to work with, with who's here, but I know what I'm supposed to do. So that allowed it to be, um, there was some scaffolding, so to speak, of structure. And then, yes, then you're looking at, okay, in order for these things to happen, there is going to have to be partly process and, and eliminating uh, uncertainty. And then there's got to be some culture change and the culture change is going to take some time, but I've got it. We're going to do both at the same time. We're going to build a process and communicate that. So people understand, you know, or gradually come to understand at the same time, I'm going to have to spend some time watching these guys, you know, spit six inches from my shoe because they're, you know, dipping or, you know, drink coffee, you know, standing outside watching things burn and, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, showing that I understand the value, even though I come from an extremely different background, that I not only am interested in what they're doing, but I value what they're doing. And I'm not going to, I'm not out to get them or hurt them or, you know, and that just that, I think in this day and age is really difficult because we're always under so much pressure to do things quickly. And human relationships, they just take time. It takes time to build trust, you know. So what were some of the biggest challenges for you personally in terms of as you grew into that position? What were, what were some of the things that we would call the grind that contributed to the grind, you know, both, both physically, mentally, or I should say all three, physically, mentally, emotionally, that kind of 
you know, were there days where you're like, what am I doing to myself? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Several yeah. days a week, actually. So how did you, how did you, what did you do when that happened? Um, <laughs> well, this is a podcast, so let me edit yeah. this. No, I'm just kidding. No, okay. um, no I think, you know, some days were tough. You, you, you need to have somebody you can talk to, obviously. And um, having a strong belief in what you're doing gets you through some of the difficult times. And then uh, what that job really taught me was patience. And because, you know, sometimes you see, you see things that are going to happen and you see it like a train coming down the track and you want to warn people and you want to jump up and down and scream and yell and say, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And if you don't have the credibility or the, or the relationships or the trust or the position or whatever it takes, um, they don't listen. And so one of the things that I learned, uh, a manager at one time told me, he said, Brandy, timing is everything. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you have this idea and you see this, but if you can go right now and push this and you're going to be pushing a, a, a boulder up a hill, or you can wait and let a couple of things evolve over time, give yourself some time to build some relationships and let some things evolve. And sometimes you have to let problems bubble up as much as you might hate that you have to let that happen so people can understand. And then when you come in with your idea or your, you know, a new program or whatever, then they're at a place where they're ready to hear it. They're ready to accept it and they're ready to talk about it. And that's difficult to do. You know, when you, when you have your own set of pressures and standard, you know, it's hard to be patient sometimes, but I learned a lot. (laughs) <laughs> well, especially when you believe so much in what you're doing and what your right. thoughts are and, and, mm-hmm. and to be able to sit, take a step back and let things evolve, which yeah. is huge. It's not easy because we try to avoid, we try to avoid problems. I mean, you look at yeah. everything we do nowadays is avoiding adversity, avoiding um, confrontation, avoiding hard arguments, avoiding difficult decisions. Exactly. So, so for you to excel in that type of environment is amazing, which so now brings us full circle to where you are today and and what we're doing on this podcast and and how was that transition from the fire school to center for executive development another much i mean you just keep doing things like let's just do something completely Completely different yes i know it's exhausting (laughs) but um so um well one of the things i want to go back really quickly to the at the at the at the fire field I had to learn to create up, uh, to communicate up and communicate down. So you were talking earlier about communicating up. And so um, that meant from a communicating up perspective, it was understanding, um, you know, we were given like, you have to do develop this many courses in this amount of time with this amount of money. And I looked at that and, you know, second week of work and I realized that was virtually impossible, literally, virtually, utterly impossible to do 60 courses, 40 hour courses in one year when I had two piece, two, uh, full-time staff. It was just impossible. And so as we just talked about that earlier, sometimes people feel there's a disconnect between what they've been told they have to do and what's possible. Mm -hmm. And so I had to learn to communicate up and it, if, if I would have just gone in and, and screamed and hollered and said, this can't be done, I would have been seen in a very negative light. So it became about, all right, who, who are these leaders that I've got to talk to and what do they look at? And so it was about, we did a little capacity study and I just put it all on in charts and graphs because you can't argue with that and showed them no. some ratios and some formulas and said, you know, here's the thing. If we can do this, um, we've done a study. If you want this done in this time frame, we need to quadruple our resources because you've got, you know, you've got time, quality, and 
money is usually your variables that you're working with. And in our case, we also had resources. I said, so we can do this, but I'm going to need about trip quadruple the staff or we're going to need to cut this back. So it's basically demand and supply. You know, if you, if you want to not increase the resources, then you're going to need to re reduce your, what you expect us to do in a year, but let's bring these two plate, the two things together. So that was communicating up and then communicating out and down was the relationship part. And how do you get people to understand how we're going to, you know, you, I need you to come on board and make this happen. So understanding that has helped me as I've moved over to the business school, which is obviously a dramatically different environment where you have, you know, higher education and faculty who are brilliant at what they do, but they're not necessarily wrapped up in business where, you know, they're pricing things and marketing things. And, you know, they understand, obviously they understand it all, but that's just not what they do every day. They're researching and teaching. So one of the things I said when I came over here, I had to shed a few scales <laughs> because I was, had come from the, you know, the, the leadership table at, at Teeks where it was me and 11 men every Monday morning meeting and making decisions for this 340 acre, um. you know, fire field to being over here. And, uh, it took me a while cause it was starting completely over with right. building credibility, building relationships, understanding where we were and where we needed to be and how we were going to get there. And um, uh, it's been a whole different set of challenges, but Mays is a wonderful place with faculty who are uh, tremendously supportive. They understand that we are, that m this group has to, even though we're not a business, we have to operate like one mm -hmm. uh, and they, they get that. And so they are um, tremendously helpful in, um, being flexible, you know, they realize that what we do is not what they do in their undergrad classroom or their graduate classroom, that it, that it takes something different. And so um, we're really lucky that we have, um, I think, an exceptionally good kind of team environment in Mays Business School. We have great leadership here and um, people are willing to help each other and work together. And so um, it's just been a little bit, um, it's been the same kinds of challenges, but at a more elevated level, I guess. Right. And, and you talk about fun, you know, you talk about learning environment and what you create for your people as well as your clients. And you have a program that I love for obvious <laughs> reasons. I think it's pure genius. And when we're done with this podcast, everybody will understand why. But you have a program that you put in place called Leading Champions. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. Um, and we, uh, we're, we're building that. So we're really excited because it is one of our brand new programs. We did a pilot for it um, in 2017 uh, just to kind of try to learn um, what will and won't work. This is a program, though, where we're not just using Mace Business School resources. We're partnering with the athletics program here at Texas A&M. And anybody that's a sports fan, a college sports fan, knows about Texas A&M. Uh, you know, joined the SEC a couple of years ago and have been incredibly successful, not just with football, but in all sports, um, men's and women's sports. Um, everything from, you know, equestrians are 12-time national champions and things like that. So uh, that's a tremendously um, successful program. They're very forward-thinking. They've been able to they, we've got the largest stadium, you know, around, and it's it's highly technical. We've got tremendous um, resources in, in in their studios and how they market and how I mean they're just amazing. And so to be able to bring the strength of 
Mays Business School, one of the top business schools in the country with Texas A&M Athletics is is really, really exciting. And so the, the, basically the concepts are you're, you still get executive education. And so you've got Mays faculty talking about, um, topics that are from a business perspective. And then we leverage A&M athletics and we learn about, um, those same kinds of topics from an athletic perspective. So how you build a successful athletic program and how you build a successful business where the overlaps are, mm -hmm. uh, we get to talk about that. And so it's kind of an experiential program that's got a whole lot of fun built into it's it. Brilliant. But it's still a whole lot of value. A whole yes. lot of value. It, yeah. it is brilliant. And obviously you love it. I mean, you're on the Athletics of Business podcast right now and we've had yeah. some incredible conversations, but there's so much alignment and there's so, there. It, it's great to see you know, the corporate world step out of their environments and it's great for uh, the coaches that will share stories, will share methods, will share practices mm -hmm. and just to see how they interact. Because at the end of the day, we all want to win. Absolutely. You know, and and part, part of winning though is serving our people and part of winning is being a great leader and, and building some, you know, building sustainable success. So I think it's phenomenal you do that. And I think it's so phenomenal that we have been blessed to co-brand an event with you that we're doing um, in uh, Kyle Field in the Hall of Champions on November 28th. Um, and it's been quite the journey to get to this point. And I just <laughs> want to say, like, I am ecstatic about the fact that we, we get to, to share that day, you know, with what we're talking about. And, and for those of you who may not know, on November 28th, uh, myself and Don Yeager, are going to share the stage for a full day where we will talk about leadership performance um, stories, lessons, um, and and processes and methods that are tried and true. Um, it's going to be an incredible event. But why were you so comfortable? What about the event really attracted you to say, you know what, that makes sense. Let's co-brand this. Um, I think, well, probably part of the same reason you did. I think there's, this is a nice um, kind of a on-ramp to leading champions. And so what you're trying to do is, is so much in alignment with what we're trying to do, which is to help people, um, help, to, you know, people that are lifelong learners and interested in, you know, getting better, becoming better leaders, becoming better um, producers, being more strategic, you know, people that are interested in, in, in just moving forward uh, are, that are interested in what you're doing are also interested in what we're doing. And so we're all on the same, we're kind of in the same, we're on the same track We're we kind of have the same mission. We want to help people be better and be more successful. Um, you want to do it in a fun way that, that adds value. And, you know, I've just been impressed with your passion and your commitment and, and what you're accomplishing. And it's, it's yours, you know, you're in your own category, but, but we're, we're all moving the same direction and, and trying to accomplish the same thing. And so the fact that you were working with athletics already, because you had done some things on your own right. and we're going to be working with athletics and we're all talking about business and athletics and success and, um, development, it just made sense that we would right. be able to support you in, in, right. in what y'all are doing. Well, and we appreciate the support. And, and you just said something that I think is lost sometimes in the corporate world and in really in any industry, but this is our uh, vantage point that we're talking about is hard work and doing things the right way mm -hmm. and having fun don't have to be mutually exclusive. We can enjoy the process of yes. getting uh, You look at your journey. I mean, I'm sure you had a little bit of fun along the way, whether it was oh, yes, 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 absolutely. fire school and here. <laughs> and, and that's the whole thing. And it's, it's, 
it's so powerful when you are able to connect with people that think the same way, you, you know, have the same values and the same beliefs, but look at it differently. Uh, I just from our friend, not from our friendship we developed, from our professional um, relationship we developed with all our conversations, I've learned a tremendous amount. And well, so have I. So thank it's, you. It's And this conversation alone, um, and I forgive me, I, I should have told you I've taken about four pages of notes, so I'm sorry about that as I'm, <laughs> that's, I'm looking that's great. Um, but but it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun day. But what are are some of the the takeaways that you have learned from putting putting together leading champions? I know it's still in the building process, and we'll talk more about it on November twenty eighth. But what are some of the things that you've taken away in the development process? Well, that uh, when we did the pilot, uh, we we started off and we had. The, the the participants were in the exec ed classroom because we wanted to give them two distinct experiences. And, you know, I was happily surprised that many of them said they really valued what they got from Mace, even though we gave them this great experience in athletics, right? And so both were very, very valuable. Um, we just met with uh, some of the athletic staff uh, last week and an idea came up that I was kicking myself that I didn't think about this, but yeah. the uh, the deputy athletic director, Stephanie Rempe, was, she said, you know, um, we, the process of building Kyle Field into what it is today mm-hmm. and the process that we have now of, of, of running that, that's all, that's stuff that never, that's not been done. You know, that's mm-hmm. transformational. It's new mm-hmm. and it, they've pushed boundaries and, and I thought, oh my gosh, it's sitting right here and we didn't even think about that. You know, we're so caught up and we, you know, we're going to use, we're going to work with the coaches and we're going to bring that in. But AM Athletics has a great story in just how they've built that program itself. And so right. all of the business and the leadership that has gone into that is, is, uh, is like a gold mine of, of opportunity to show people you know, these, these things, what makes people successful and, and how you build something is not just done in business and it's mm-hmm. not just done in sports. There, are, It's a common thread. It's common right. threads that run through and that's what we're exactly. tapping into um, that are almost like fundamental truths. You know, these things don't change whether you're in this context or that context. And right. so let's have a little fun looking at that. And right. um when we did a conference for firefighters that grew to be a really successful leadership conference, one of the things that made it successful is the same thing that this is doing. We looked at leadership, but we didn't just look at it from the context of emergency response. We brought in military leaders. We brought in higher ed leaders. We brought in corporate leaders, and they were all talking about things that firefighters dealt with every day, but it was from a different perspective with a little bit different language. And that in and of itself is valuable because it, helps you see things in a new way. So when we do leading champions, it's the same thing. You've got faculty and business experts talking about, you know, um, recruiting in a tight labor market or um, building a team or, you know, motivating individuals. Well, when you are a business person and you're hearing how they did that from an athletic perspective, it's not that that's not valuable because you're never going to be a coach. It's that you get to hear about the same thing with a, from a different perspective and it, it helps you think about things in a new way. Mm-hmm. And so there's tremendous value to hearing about, con- you know, things that you deal with on a regular basis from somebody in a totally different environment. Well, and what Stephanie, you know, with Stephanie coming up with that, 
thought process, which is brilliant because it is right in front of us. It speaks to that, you know, it's hard to see the picture when we're inside the frame. Exactly. And that's what, when you, when you cross, when you bring these two worlds together, it's really, it's powerful, it's fun, it's engaging. Um, it, it's a change of pace. It breaks the script. And, and you know, I, I truly believe in the power of moments and any, anytime you can break the script in a positive way, it, it adds so much value to everybody involved. So I'm, I'm excited to hear that. I'm excited to, yeah. uh, I'm excited to connect again and, and November 28th will be a lot of fun. Now, is there, is there a timeline on um, leading champions or am I getting ahead of myself a little bit? We know, uh, we don't have a date yet. Okay. We, uh, what I told them was we will cater to you because when you talk about recruiting, you're going across multiple sports and their recruiting seasons and their playing yeah. seasons. Um, it's, looking, it's looking like it'll probably be sometime in April, but we okay. have not set a date yet. Um, because they've got to work on that. They've got to look at when coaches are here and when they're out on the road and what's the best time of year to be able to um, leverage what they're trying to leverage and, and, and bring these things together. But it's probably going to be in April sometime. Well, and we'll be sure to put that in your show notes and we'll also be sure to keep our listeners informed about that. Great. Yeah. Um, we'd love to have people. And how could um, folks find out more about uh, the Center for Executive Development and Mays Business School? We have, um, they can go to our website, and that is uh, www.tamu, so for Texas A&M University, tamuexec.com, so T-A-M-U-E-X-E-C.com. Uh, that, that's our website, and then um, you can get our email addresses, phone numbers, and all from there. Okay, that's fantastic. And, yeah. and to learn more about uh, the events, Unleashing Greatness, that is the name of the event, and that'll be November 28th. It'll be Don Yeager and myself. Um, you can go to um, our website, themolitorgroup.com, and there's a landing page on there. It's Unleashing Greatness. Um, there's also um, contact information there, how you can find out more. If you have some questions, uh, you can register right there. There's two different um, there's a full day event, general mission, then there's a VIP package. Um, I do believe there's a few of those left and you can find us on Twitter at the Molitor group, Instagram. I believe it's at Molitor, uh, one, uh, and we do have a, um, Facebook page, uh, the Molitor group, Facebook page, as well as an, as well as an athletics of business community. And this is the athletics of business podcast, which we do have our own website, which is the athletics of business.com. And I want to thank you for listening. And most importantly, Brandy, I want to thank you, Dr. Brandy Plunkett. I want to thank you for being here and joining me today. And, um, for all the, the gold that you dropped for our listener. Oh, well, thank you. It was really my pleasure. And it's, it's an honor to be able to talk to you and to be able to represent uh, my, my college, Mays Business School in Texas awesome. A&M University. Uh, it's so a very thanks. special place. Very, very it special is. place. And I'm looking yeah. forward to getting down there. Uh, you get to meet my wife. We'll, we'll, Fantastic. We'll It'll be a great time. Okay, Brandy, thank you very much. Thanks a bunch. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Athletics of Business. Be sure to give us a rating and review so we know how we're doing. For more information about the show, visit theathleticsofbusiness.com. Now, get out there, think, act, and execute at the highest level to unleash your greatness.